morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I've got a cold, I know! I was up for a significant part of the night. You know that little tickle in the back of the throat? Nothing too bad, but enough to make me think, oh dear, here we go. I'm bunged up this morning. I need some of that Sinex up my nose. I love that. Oh, I do love a bit of that. And to make matters worse, I had a, I've eaten a whole pack. You didn't see this because I, uh, I'd hidden it in a black bag. I'd eaten a whole packet of brioche today. There are eight brioche in a packet of brioche. I had, I had eight of them. I feel really ill now. This is not high-class problems, I know, but seriously, it's, uh, it's going to be an uncomfortable three hours for me. Not for you, though. We've got lots coming up that I know you want to have your say on, including... Booking is open for the new Centre Park site in Woburn, which will open its doors to customers next year. Well, like every holiday company in the UK, it charges significantly more during holidays than turn time. Has it become too expensive to go on holiday when the schools are off? A Buckinghamshire street was the star of Watchdog this week because of its faded yellow lines. Tickets were issued on Britannia Street and Aylesbury, even though the lines were hard to see and an enforcement sign was missing. Have you ever disputed a parking fine? I paid one of 65 quid last night. Oh, and it hurts. Really hurts. 65 pounds. The National Archives have released more than 25 files relating to the sightings of unidentified flying objects, UFOs. In 2009... There were about 600 unexplained sightings, treble the number for the previous year. Well, have you ever seen something that you couldn't explain? Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR. Or, and this is the best way to do it, of course, you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Has it become too expensive to go on holiday when the schools are off? More than half of parents are happy to take kids out of school during term time to save on holiday costs. Results of a survey carried out by an insurance company show that new government guidance for head teachers to fine parents £60 for unauthorised absences may have little effect. Well, booking is open for the new Centre Park site in Woburn, which will open its doors to customers next year. And we can see how much the company will be charging in Bedfordshire for term times and school holidays. Tara Gungerful can tell us more. This isn't unusual, is it, Tara? Oh, let me turn your microphone on. There we go. That's better. Not at all. Not unusual at all. Uh, Thank you. That is better. You've got kids, haven't you? So you must come across this problem. Do you know, and I was completely shocked the first time I tried to book during term times, uh, school holidays. I thought, oh my good, look at the Look at the price. It is quite shocking. In some places, more shocking than others. And yet, like all holiday companies, you know, Centre Parks does charge more during the school holidays. It's not doing anything different to anybody else. For example, let me give you an example here. A four-night midweek break during October half-term, a very popular time to get away, because the weather during October half-term is often not bad. In some cases, it's better than it is during the entire summer months. Mm. Um, Well, next year, in 2014, it will cost more than £1,140. A week later, the price for the same accommodation drops to £499. That's incredible! That's that's an incredible difference. It is a big difference. On average, ABTA says the cost increase is usually between 25 and 30% for holiday companies, and, and people booking for the school holidays know that they will have to pay a premium 
premium, but but that does seem like quite an increase. It doesn't go down well with everyone, does it? No, and we have done the subject in the past because it's one of those ones. It's kind of like every year it's an issue, but every year it's still the same issue the following year. You know, and in lots of ways there doesn't seem to be much that is done about it. Some companies, you know, they offer free child places a bit as a, as a bit of an incentive if you yeah. book early with them. So there are things for some parents, but. But it's it's just annoying because you're told that your child's education is absolutely and very rightly really important. But at the same time, you feel like you might be penalised if you decide to follow all the rules and and just take them during the school holidays. Now, as you mentioned earlier, up until now, fining has been at the discretion of head teachers, but government guidance has taken the discretion out of this. And uh, and we can see from this uh, research that you mentioned as well, from this insurance company, that parents will probably still take that fine because it's considerably cheaper than going on holiday. Well, a 60 quid fine is cheaper than a six, seven hundred pound price hike in holiday, isn't it? Well, of course it is. Here's Christine Hood. She's a retired teacher from Hertfordshire and former secretary of the county's branch of the National Union of Teachers. That's a very mouthful of a title. She says she doesn't blame parents who take their children out during term time because of this. It's not the parents' fault. It's the holiday companies. Why do they double the price almost when it's school holidays? It's totally unfair on hard-working people. If holidays were the same price all year round, parents wouldn't be forced to go when it was cheaper. Now, we'll be finding out later why holiday companies do have this disparity in pricing. Um, but Christine also thinks that there should be some sort of action on this to make holidays a more reasonable price. Well, it used to be called retail price maintenance, where things were capped. You know, they wasn't, weren't allowed to charge too much. I just think it's totally unfair on the parents. And this sort of pricing it, it arrangement it affects everyone, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, whether you've got children or not. And there'll be people listening at the moment. I'm busy talking about school holidays. They'll, they'll be saying, well, I'm retired. I don't go with uh, yeah. children anymore. But if but they go during that break... Yeah, I can't afford to go during the school holidays. And the school holidays aren't just the school holidays. They're also the times that are generally more popular for everyone to go away. Yeah. For example, Christmas and Easter. And you don't need children to want to go away at that time of year, do you, really? Um, so we mentioned this whole idea of incentives for free, school child pla- free child places as well. People who don't have children they don't benefit from that um it doesn't make any difference at all to them so yesterday justin dealey went out to find out what people generally think about this and he asked that question has it become too expensive to go on holiday when the schools are off yeah it has yeah yeah just uh, you know trying to afford all the kids stuff for school and that as well and then trying to get some time to go away i'd definitely say yeah it's getting too expensive so when was the last time you actually took the children away on a holiday during the school holidays then i don't think we ever have done just, just a pure price, like you say, with everything, all the prices going up with everything, just cost too much money. So your kids never get to go away, never get to experience the culture, simply because of those prices, because they are so steep, double in some cases. Yeah, definitely. Very frustrating. You know, you can't, your kids can't go to a nice beach, go and get some nice sunshine, not be able to see different cultures and stuff. Yeah, it's a bit, bit it's a shame and it's upsetting as well, I think, yeah. That's when you've got two children. Has it become too expensive for you to take the children away during the summer holidays? Absolutely. It's... It's the only time we're allowed to take them out, and so there's the high price, and it's really hard to afford it when you've got such young children. Your kids are missing out, aren't they? Yes, yeah. I mean, they want to go on holiday, they want to have a nice time, and, um, and they can't, really. So what do you do? If it's too expensive to go away during the summer, and you're being told you're going to be fined if you take your children out of school during term time, when are your children going to be going away to experience some culture? Well, when they can afford it themselves, or you have to save up for quite a long time and be able to, to do it then. And do you think the holiday companies should be forced to lower their prices? 
maybe the government stepping in to do something to give families like you a chance to afford to go away. I think they need to make it fairer. It doesn't seem particularly fair. Have Centre Parks made any comment on this? Yeah, they have issued a statement. In line with many other companies, our prices are set according to demand. The price increase reflects the huge demand that we have for our short break holidays during peak season. We are 100% full during these periods and, in fact, have significant over-demand. In essence, our pricing reflects the popularity of our short breaks and the value which our guests place on them. Well, there you go. Thank you very much, Tara. 08459 555555. Has it become too expensive to go on holiday when the schools are off? Have you pulled your kids out of school a week early, a couple of weeks early, to save a few quid? Or do you find you're not a parent, but you're being penalised during the summer holiday and the half-term holiday and the Christmas holiday because you want to go away? Has it become too expensive to go on holiday when the schools are off? You can text as well, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Here's the turtles. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Is it too expensive to go on holiday when the schools are off? 08459 455 555. I'm going to press a button, play some music, and then I'm going to impress the heck out of Adam Glynn. Stay listening. I've had eight brioche this morning, Adam. How did you manage that? I just I, I just sat there and I kept eating them. I had them in the secret bag so no one could see them and I didn't have to offer them. And I just kept... Every time people looked around, they thought I was on the same brioche. I ate eight of them, Adam, and now I feel sick. I'm, I'll be honest, I am very impressed. I knew you would be. You're a boy. Let's have the go. travel. <laughs> Speak to you in a bit. Cheers, Ian. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, guess what? What? Kelly Betts, who works on this show, doesn't know mm. what a brioche is. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, dearie, dearie me. Thank you, Adam. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Morning, it's 6.16. It's a brioche special. It's Friday the 21st of June. I'm Ian Lee. It's 20 past six. We've had our first grrr already on the text from Lee and Sandy. We're talking about um, holiday companies whacking them up, whacking the prices up during uh, holidays, during, um, you know, school holidays. Uh, Lee and Sandy says grrr. Listening to your show regarding holidays and taking the children out of school and the holiday companies hiking up prices during school holidays. I'm a father of two and couldn't afford to take the kids away unless I take them out of school and take a fine. And as, a, as regards to holiday companies, surely it's just profiteering totally unfair on the public. Let me just give it's not just centre parks, but let me give you the prices for the new centre parks in Woburn. Okay, what they're going to be charging. Four night midweek break during the October half term next year. More than £1,149. A week later, £499. You did the math. Now, a Buckinghamshire street was the star of Watchdog this week because of its faded yellow lines. Tickets were issued on Britannia Street in Aylesbury, even though the lines were hard to see and an enforcement sign was missing. The yellow lines have just been repainted and the road resurfaced, but not before some people got stung. We can speak now to Brian Beale, who was issued with a ticket when he parked in Britannia Street last year when he was doing the Christmas shopping. Morning, Brian. Good morning. Brian, you hadn't visited Aylesbury before, so presumably you thought it was all right to park there. Yes, um, the double yellow lines had created a lay-by. Um, never seen that before. The double yellow lines were about six feet off the pavement. So let, let, let me just try and describe this. So th- there was a lay-by off of the road, but the double yellow lines carried straight along the road. They didn't go into that lay-by. That's right. Well, you, you would assume that that was fine to park, wouldn't you? I did. Uh, were there any signs or, or anything there that, that highlighted parking regulations? 
there was absolutely nothing at the beginning. So if you parked behind a car, which is what I did, um, then um, there was no sign anywhere near the beginning. When I came back and found the parking ticket, by walking down to the end of the lay-by, there was an old-fashioned sign. It looked as if it had been there many years, which said um, no, uh, no loading at any time. You came back, you did your shopping, bought some nice presents, you come back. Uh, how did you feel when you saw the parking ticket? I was a bit surprised, um, because it was a very obvious place to park. And the street was one way, and there was enough room for two cars to go down side by side without encroaching into the lay-by where I parked. Now, you did something, Brian, that most of us don't bother to do, even if we kind of feel we're in the right. You appealed the ticket. Yes. Uh, was it easy to appeal? Oh, it was easy enough to appeal, but uh, it was strange that uh, it was dealt with by the, the firm that issued the, the ticket, who was in Worthing. Oh. And they, uh, the, 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 the appeal was rejected initially? The appeal was rejected, but you get, then get a, a sort of second bite of the cherry and um, uh, have another go. Uh, I think they call it a representation and um, I sent this immediately after the appeal. Uh, up to the time of the appeal, though, uh, you're allowed to only pay half the fine. Right. If, you get, if you go to the representation and lose, you have to pay the full amount. Right. Uh, but the, they came back, and you won in the end. Well, I, uh, the representation was rejected again, and um, but... I won in the end by going to the ombudsman. What a load of old faff, isn't it, Brian? It was. Absolute faff. Uh, Brian, I appreciate you coming on this morning. Uh, There's Brian Beale, who was issued with a parking ticket in Britannia Street. It was on Watchdog this week. Uh, They've since uh, made it clearer there that you're not allowed to park. But it is an interesting uh, uh, thing, isn't it? I never appeal parking tickets. I remember last year, two years ago, my wife got a parking ticket somewhere I know we're allowed to park. And uh, I said, we're appealing this, we're fighting this. And we asked for photographic evidence. Initially, they sent back a picture of a different car in a different place at night time. We thought, yes, we're in. Then they sent us the correct picture. What we should have done was carried on fighting it. But we didn't. We kind of got a bit scared and thought, well, if we do carry on fighting it, well, what if we are wrong? We'll end up paying double. So we, we paid it. Have you... Fought a parking ticket and won. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. As I say, last night I had to pay a sixty-five pound parking fine. That wasn't the double. That was the initial fine. If I'd waited another couple of days, it would have been twice that. Imagine. I hate central London. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Well, what a lot we're chucking at you: parking fines, school holidays, and UFOs. Oh, and in a few minutes you'll get to hear me and Justin Dealey riding a tandem. Isn't that wonderful? I love that song. What a joyous song about falling in love with a computer. That's what it's about. I've never seen the film, but I remember it coming out and thinking, oh, that's an interesting concept, falling in love with a computer. And in many ways, wasn't it predictive of what we've all done? BBC Three Counties Radio, more from me at seven. We're talking UFOs a little bit later on in the show, Mm, Serena. Yeah. And you're a little bit... um, I'm not a bit quirky or quacky or whatever else you want to say. I was going to say airy-fairy. 
very right. So you've probably seen something floating in the sky, haven't you? Really? Well, I don't know. Have you? Not really. I mean, I believe in ghosts and all that paranormal stuff. Oh, but, for goodness sake! But not the... There's science behind UFOs, Serena. There's no science, science. behind ghosts. Science. It's a mathematical probability that there are other life forms out no, there. No, excuse me. My friend, she's a doctor, quantum physics and all the rest of it, right? And uh, she writes for Lancet and whatnot. Now, ghosts, she's proven they exist in spirits through the um, whoa, science whoa. of vibrations. <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs> Hang on a second. Sorry. Sorry. Scrap everything. Forget centre parks. Forget parking. <laughs> Serena's friend has proved yes. through science that ghosts exist. Yeah, you know, Ghost- because of the science yeah. of vibrations. Oh, yeah, no, no, vibrations. no, 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 no. Now, UFOs, you could just mistake it for a frisbee, couldn't you? Flying a little bit high in the air. Your your mate uh, uh, has proven, using science, that ghosts exist. Thanks very much. Proven. Hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Okay, here here is a fact. uh, Here is a fact. Ghosts do not exist. There's a fact for you. They do not exist. UFOs, I've seen a UFO. My wife and I, and she's the most sensible, down-to-earth person, practical person you can meet, we have seen a UFO. It was weird. We were talking about something, and I said, well, yeah, imagine if we looked out of the window and we saw a UFO. Oh, my God, there's a UFO! And we stood up, and there was a UFO hurtling across the sky. Fact. Fact. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on. If you want to give us your UFO stories, 08459 455 555. I guarantee you now, though, ghosts do not exist in the slightest. Let of old Tosh. Also, is it too expensive to go on holiday during the school holidays? 08459 455 555. Me and Dealey on a tandem soon. Yeah, there's your Sony. Oh dear, he's um, in a lot of pain, that man, isn't he? You want to give him a big hug? Say, come on, fella, you're only young. He'll pick up. Now, if you were listening to my programme this time last week, you'll remember we were asking whether cyclists were a menace on our roads. We've got a debate going, and some of you rang up to tell us that some of the roads around the three counties are just not safe enough for cyclists. Well, I wanted to put this to the test, and after managing to get my hands on a tandem donated by Site Concern in Bedfordshire, myself and our cycling correspondent Justin Dealey decided to go out for a ride on the roads of Luton. As uh, Kelly Betts, a member of our team, tried to keep up, she's only tiny. Good morning, I'm Susan, I work for Site Concern Bedfordshire. This is our tandem bike. There are some social etiquette stuff you need to remember. When you're on the front, you never accuse the person behind of not pedalling. They get really offended, and then they will stop pedalling and you'll notice the difference. You never spit because it'll blow backwards, okay? And try and make sure you give them warning of the corners because you need to lean, and the guy at the back will need to lean as well. But apart from that, I think you're going to be fine. Go steady. Did you all get that? Yes, we did. Right. It should be fun. Mark, come and, come and tell us. First of all, you, you, this site concern is, is, helps blind people. Why on earth have you got a bike? Well, the idea, and I've worked here ten years, I can't believe I didn't think of it before, is that... Could you stop moving on the back? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> cigarettes to Kelly. The whole idea... Is that the person on the, on the back can be blind, partially sighted, it doesn't matter. As long as they can pedal, they can actually get exercise. You look like a teenager on a grifter. Yeah, I'm ready for it. <laughs> shall, we, shall we have a I, I used to have a grifter. I used to have a grifter. Yeah, oh, yeah, fun. Nice yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. Shake on that. OK, right. Any tips for, for pulling off? How do you pull off, Mark? Well, when I did it, I just kind of tried to get up to speed as quickly as possible so that we didn't fall off. OK, ready? Countdown. You ready? OK. You ready? Five, four, three, 
to what? Go, 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 go. Ped- no, you've got to pedal, pedal. Do you pedal. pedal at the same ah! time? Oh, what's going with the gears? Hang on, whoa, pedal. <laughs> I got it, go, pedal, pedal. Let's go. Pedal, look out, Kelly. <laughs> we're going to turn left. <laughs> turn it, that's it, we're going to go straight. Hey, this is all right. This is quite good. We are cycling through Luton. On a bicycle. In the middle of the road. In the middle of the road. Well, it would be on the road, Kelly. Yeah, but in the middle. And uh, I'm really start. I don't know what cyclists have got a problem about. I'm enjoying this. Justin's this is really good fun. See, see if this I can't run anymore. They've outwilled me. There's currently two grown men riding down the road on a tandem, looking a bit silly. They're about six foot eight, and the bike's about, I don't know, quite small. Can you just quickly tell me what you've just witnessed? I've just seen two people on a bike. <laughs> two of them on the same bike? Yes. They look a bit silly? Yes, they do look silly, yeah. Would you go on a bike like that? No, I wouldn't. No. They're Muppets. <laughs> Justin, you ready? Yeah, push, ready, push, 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 pedal. Ah! Go, 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 go. Go, mind that car. There we go, this is it. Right, we're going to do a right turn, Clyde. Signal, signal. <laughs> Do we, as a, a young lady, do we yeah. look cool? You look, it's the coolest I've ever seen you both look. Can we pop a wheelie, Justin? How far are we going to have to do this for? Well, we'll be going for about ten minutes now. I'd say another, what, five minutes? Okay. I'm doing this all day. <laughs> oh, look out! <laughs> uh, to be honest, it, it, to, be, to be completely serious about this, um, I think I can see some of the pressures that cyclists face because... Uh, a lot of the drivers haven't stopped for us. They haven't given us uh, the respect we deserve. Um, and it can be tough being on a bicycle. You're not pedalling, are you? He's you're not! Pedaling. He's not pedalling! What are you pedalling for? About two minutes. I tell you what, you can drive it home. I'm off. Good luck, mate. I'll get on the front, yeah? We're swapping over. That's myself and Justin Dealey riding a tandem. And thank you to uh, uh, the team at Sight Concern uh, who allowed us to use it. I think what we have proven there is that cyclists are a menace on the roads. If our attitude is anything to go by, then heaven help anybody else. We'll, we'll, there's a little bit more of that coming up um, later on. And, uh, so, yes, we have a quick look at the front pages. Why the heck not? The Guardian uh, calls for fresh inquiries into NHS cov- uh, cover-up. Department of Health under fire as watchdog names accused officials. And there's the Queen. Look at the Queen. Oh, my goodness. I like the Queen. But she's grinning like a demented loon whilst looking at one of the tiniest trophies in the world. Front page of The Guardian, she's gurning, looking at this tiny... Her horse won a race. Oh, good for her. But it's a tiny cup, and her face is like, <laughs> you rep fans. I don't think it's treason to say the Queen is, uh, looks like Roland Rat. Uh, the Daily Telegraph, the NHS, the drug firms and the price market. Drug companies face accusations of secretly colluding with pharmacists to overcharge the NHS millions of pounds. You don't say, really? Really? Drug companies are doing it for their own interest, they're not doing it for the kids? No. There's the Queen looking uh, excited again. This is a great headline. Marco Pierre White is a bit of an idiot, says Judge. We read on. Marco Pierre White, the chef, might have been a, quote, dishonest idiot, unquote, a high court judge ruled yesterday as £174,000 worth of damages over a failed restaurant was thrown out. The television chef must also pay an estimated half a million pounds legal fee, plus costs of £240,000. 
He's been a bit of an idiot, said Mr Justice Morgan, and it may be he has been a dishonest idiot on top. Marco Pierre White. Which one's he? Is he the one with the lo- sort of long, greasy hair? Uh, the Independent, there's a cloud over Asia, a literal cr- uh, cloud. Named at last. The health chiefs behind care report cover-up. The two senior, uh, two most senior members of the NHS regulator were at the centre of an uh, alleged cover-up over a hospital where as many as 16 babies died. The Times, furious families demand inquiry into NHS uh, cover-up. And uh, here we go. This is why we're talking about UFOs. It's on the front of the Times. You see, it's not just frivolous nonsense. It's proper news story. It's a proper news story. MOD closes the X-Files after 60-year UFO hunt. The truth is no longer out there, or at least not as far as the RAF is concerned. The Ministry of Defence UFO desk, known colloquially as Britain's X-Files, has closed and released its final batch of classified papers. Looking for your UFO stories today, please. 08459 455 555. What have you seen? I've seen a UFO. Ghosts don't exist, but I have genuinely seen a UFO. You'll be welcome with open br- uh, open arms here, brother and sister, if you want to come and tell me your stories. BBC introducing live at the Hat Factory in Luton, Saturday night from 8. Thank you, Gareth. Totes busy. Hashtag would like to go but can't make it, unfortunately. Never mind. UFOs. Ever seen one? Leslie's in St Albans. You've seen one, have you, Leslie? Oh, yes. Yeah. D- d- what was it? Ah, oh, no, you see, that was the interesting part, because, um... Huh? It was round, yes. then it went to a cylinder, like a cigar, yeah. because I actually thought it was one of the blimps. Yes. But it, it kept changing, but it, there was no intermediate period. There wasn't a part where it actually sort of became, it just went from round to cigar shape, and then looked back at the road, because we were uh, the road was very busy, everyone was looking at this thing. Yeah. And look back at the road to check the road. Look back again, just a flicker, you know, of my eyes. Yes. And the thing was gone. It went. It vanished. It just disappeared. And did you speak to other people? It was unbelievable. Hello. Did you speak to other people? It, it was... Uh, well, there was passengers in the car. We were all watching it. Well. But, of course, the other drivers, uh, I mean, it was the A20. Oh. Everyone's concentrating, you know, <laughs> as much on their driving as they were And when that. you've mentioned this to people, Leslie, do they laugh at you? Actually, no, it's surprising people don't. They they might sort of look a little bit askance at times, but no, they don't usually laugh. I think there's a lot of believers out there, or at least, you know, the question mark is there. I want to get picked up by an alien and be probed. I would love that. I want to be probed. Don't you want to be deeply probed? Not really. But then again, I should imagine their technology would... um, yeah, they're probably probing you anyway right now without you realising it. Oh, really? They could yeah, be, they, they could be working through the headphones, you know. Oh, don't, Leslie, don't. Now I'm getting uncomfortable. Uh, uh, and that's well, are the, you picking up radio signals in your, t- in your fillings yet? I'm, I'm, unfortunately, yeah, I'm picking up heart. <laughs> I'm picking <laughs> up that go. rubbish. Leslie, nice to talk to you. Thank you. You're you a perfectly sane-sounding person. Saw a, a, a cigar shape. No, it wasn't a cigar shape. It was a ball shape. No, hang on, it's a cigar shape. Suddenly it's gone. It has to, they have to exist. They have, Nanny Eileen, Nanny Eileen, the UFO, you believe in UFOs, don't you? Yes. Of course you do, because they, statistically, mathematically, other life has to exist in one of the many galaxies and universes. Yes, I agree with you. And you're a fool, not you, um, let me finish, <laughs> you're a fool if you don't believe there is other life out there. It's not airy-fairy, it's not nonsense, it's, it's a mathematical probability. 
rant over. I've got a bit of a cold this morning, Nanny Island. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Bit bunged up. I had a tickly throat all night. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't sleep very well. Oh, um, bless you. Feeling tired, I'm feeling grumpy, and I'm, I'm feeling sorry for myself. Oh, and I was going to wish you brightest summer solstice blessings. Ah. <laughs> Silence, you. <laughs> yeah, it did silence me. Is it? Is t- today's not summer solstice, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, brightest summer. Are you going to be dancing around a, a uh, phallic symbol? Uh, oh, hopefully, yes. I'm going off to Brighton. Oh. There's drumming, Border Morris, and goodness knows what. Plenty of phallic I, symbols down there. Can, can I very quickly tell you? On Sunday, yeah. Um, the Great British Greyhound Walk. Oh. Um, it will be groups of people walking together, not all gathering together in one place. No. Um, with their dogs, Greyhounds, obviously. Yeah, yep, the yep. local one is at Weston, between Bulldog oh. and Stevenage. Yeah. Ten o'clock at the Cricketers Pub. Anyone who wants oh. to know more, oh. get in touch with Here we go. GBGW on the website. Here Thank we, you, here, over. Here we go. Here we go. Right, I get it, Nanny. We all meet at the pub at ten o'clock. Yeah, of course. I see how your mind works. Yeah, well, you, you've got to get it. I mean, you, well, you've got to get your priorities right, haven't you? you? have got to get your priorities yeah. right. A nice boozy, a nice boozy dog walk. Uh, well, you booze afterwards. Oh, I see. I and see. then people will make donations and give the donations to their local greyhound rescue Well, group. good luck. I know you do a lot of work for greyhounds, <laughs> so good luck with that. But, Nanny Island, we're not here yeah. to discuss greyhounds or I, UFOs. I know we're not. We're here to discuss brand new music. Yippee! From Beds, Hearts and Bucks, part of the BBC <laughs> Introducing Show, which goes out Saturdays yes. in the evening. Um, busy then but but this is i think this one could be an absolute corker this is by a band called atlas uh, yes. they're from hitchin yes and it's oh, called good. summer jams uh-uh. uh i do for today i do should we have a listen yes please here we go well there you go that's summer jams by atlas they're from hitchin you can hear more music like that on uh, from bbc three counties on bbc introducing every saturday evening from eight o'clock nanny eileen what, what did you make of uh, summer jams by atlas oh i liked that yeah i loved that bit of rap in the middle of it the rap was good wasn't, wasn't it wasn't it brilliant we do you know what we had a little conversation, my, Kelly Betts and myself. Kelly Betts helps choose this music. Yes. And she went, I bet Nanny Eileen likes the rap. Yes. You did say that, didn't you, Kelly Betts? I did, I did. Oh, good. You, you were right, Kelly Betts. Yes, for sure. There we go, for <laughs> sure, for sure. How did it make you How did it make you feel, Eileen? Oh, I was having a little bop to that. Yeah, nice, yes. little, nice little boogie. Oh, it really lifts the spirits. Yes. It, it does, it's, it's joyous. I can I imagine... Deal for today. I can imagine driving around in an open-top car, stuck in traffic, listening to that very loudly. Oh, whizzing down the country lane, not stuck in traffic. Wow. <laughs> now, Eileen, have you got any um, cold remedies from, like, the olden days that I could use? Because they're normally better than the medicines, aren't they? Well, I usually have a drop of whiskey, actually. Oh, do <laughs> yeah, but um, we're talking about dealing with colds, my love, not your your boozy problems. Oh, no, but, oh. I mean, you have a nice hot toddy. Yeah, that'll sort it out, will it? Yeah, of course it will. Eileen, listen, have a lovely weekend. Good luck with the dog walk. Thank you, I'll spe- you. speak to you next week, my dear. Yeah, and I hope your cold's better, Thank too. you very much. Ta-ta. Yeah, bye. There's Nanny Eileen. Don't forget, this Saturday, the show, BBC Introducing, will be live from their own gig at the Hat Factory in Luton. You can pop along if you want. It's free. Doors open at seven. Why wouldn't you want to go? I mean, I'm busy then, otherwise I would totes be there. Hashtag I'm working that night, I'm afraid. Sorry, guys. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I think my voice will hold up. 
How do you get rid of that irritating tickle at the back of the throat? That's the thing. It's making me swallow lots. A bit breathy this morning. I need to go and buy a big bag of salt and gargle it. With a bit of warm water as well. Coming up between now and eight, booking has opened for the new Centre Park site in Woburn, which will open its doors to customers next year. Like every other holiday company in the UK, it charges more during holidays than term time. Well, has it become too expensive to go on holiday when the schools are off? Did you see Watchdog this week? Well, a Buckinghamshire street was the star because of its faded yellow lines. Tickets were issued on Britannia Street in Aylesbury, even though the lines were hard to see and an enforcement sign was missing. Well, have you ever disputed a parking fine? It's a bit of hassle, isn't it, really? And the National Archives have released more than 25 files relating to the sighting of unidentified flying objects. In 2009, there were about 600 unexplained sightings. Treble the number for the previous year. Well, have you ever seen something you couldn't explain? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Booking has opened for the new Centre Park site in Woburn, which will open its doors to customers next year, and we can finally get a little glimpse at the prices. Are you ready for a shock? A four-night midweek break during October half-term next year will cost you more than £1,149. A week later, £499. That means you're paying 130% more to travel in half-term. Now, this is Centre Parks. Most of the holiday companies do it. 08459 455 555. Are holidays becoming too expensive when the schools are off? Do you take your kids out of school a week earlier, a week later, to save a few quid? Yeah, you pay £60, fine. But you're saving four, five, six hundred pounds in some cases. ABTA, the Association of British Travel Agents, says average rises are 25 to 30 percent. Well, we sent Justin Dealey out and about to ask, has it become too expensive to go on holiday when the schools are off? Yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, you know, trying to afford all the kids stuff for school and that as well. And then trying to get some time to go away. I'd definitely say, yeah, it's getting too expensive. So when was the last time you actually took the children away on a holiday during the school holidays? Though? I don't think we ever have done. Just, just a pure, pure price, like you say, with everything, all the prices going up with everything, it just costs too much money. So your kids never get to go away, never get to experience the culture, simply because of those prices, because they are so steep, double in some cases. Yeah, definitely. Very frustrating. You know, you can't, your kids can't go to a nice beach, go and get some nice sunshine, not be able to see different cultures and stuff. Yeah, it's a bit, bit it's a shame and it's upsetting as well, I think, yeah. That's when you've got two children. Has it become too expensive for you to take the children away during the summer holidays? Absolutely. It's... It's the only time we're allowed to take them out, and so there's the high price, and it's really hard to afford it when you've got such young children. Your kids are missing out, aren't they? Yes, yeah. I mean, they want to go on holiday, they want to have a nice time, and, um, and they can't, really. So what do you do? If it's too expensive to go away during the summer, and you're being told you're going to be fine if you take your children out of school during term time, when are your children going to be going away to experience some culture? Well, when they can afford it themselves, or you have to save up 
for quite a long time and be able to to do it there. And do you think the holiday companies should be forced to lower their prices? Maybe the government stepping in to do something to give families like you a chance to afford to go away. I think they need to make it fairer. Well, Lynn Hughes is editor of Wanderlust Travel Magazine. Morning, Lynn. Morning, Ian. Uh, can anything be done about this price hike? Ah. <sighs> Not really. It's it's a really difficult one, because even if you said, well, the travel companies, you know, you mustn't put your prices up, they're going to turn around and say, well, we have to, because, you know, the hotels put their prices up, the attractions put their prices up, the airlines put their prices up. And, you know, there's this whole circle going on of prices going up. And I must admit, quite a bit of it is, although some of it will be, you know, obviously a bit of greed and taking advantage um, of the situation. In other cases, you can't blame it. You know, if you ran a, a small family hotel in a holiday destination, then, yeah, of course you would put prices up at the peak times because a lot of the year your hotel is going to be sitting empty. I think people could understand that, of course. But when you look at these huge corporations like Centre Parks, well, we've got uh, October half-term next year, £1,149. The week after, £499. That's, that's a difference of 130%. Mm. Well, again, you know, they would say, even though they're a big corporation, I'm sure that they would argue that there are, you know, for perhaps two-thirds or three-quarters of the year, they're probably losing money by having that big site there, having that infrastructure, having a team of people working there. And so they have to make the money almost as the hay shines, you know, and... You know, sort of thing. So it's a really difficult one. I don't think it's going to change because it applies all over the world as well. It isn't only this country. Um, and, you know, this discussion that we're having now will be going on in, a, in, you know, dozens of countries around the world because they're the same, you know. When you see when s- holidays where all the prices go up. When you see price increases like that, you can understand why parents take their kids out of school, can't you? You can, and and definitely. And, of course, what is um, probably going to be very frustrating for parents now is that the government is trying to, you know, really cut down on that. And uh, Michael Gove has actually spoken out against it and said that children shouldn't be taken out of school. And so, whereas up to now it has been that, you know, at the school's discretion you could have 10 days out, up to 10 days out, um, that is actually going to be clamped down on. But having said that, I think um, both the government and schools are also very aware about this, you know, tricky situation with holidays and the prices going up. So there has been a lot of talk about changing the school year. Um, And Michael Gove just said recently, a couple of months ago, about he's put forward that perhaps um, the summer holidays should only be four weeks instead of six weeks and that different schools should have them at different times. And in that case, it might help spread things around a bit. Um, And I think he's looking to Asia for that, really, because in Asia they tend to have shorter holidays than us. You know, the prices would probably still change accordingly, wouldn't it? It could get more expensive for more well, of the year. If, if um, of course, if all the yeah, if all the um, particularly if all the schools broke at the same time, but in an even shorter period, then it would. But and, well, also, it doesn't just it doesn't just affect families, does it? It affects everybody who wants to go on holiday in in that six week, seven week period. 
It does, and um, I must admit that I'm always surprised if childless people, like childless couples, go away in August. Mm. You think, why do it? You know, um, let's face it, you know, this country's beautiful in the summer, so, you know, take advantage of your back garden or your balcony. We've not been able to do that this year. Well, no, we haven't. There has been that dreadful weather of the last few summers. But having said that, there's still so much on in this country during, you know, the summer months. You know, there's always local festivals and fates and uh, all sorts of things going on. When do you go so, away, Lynn? Go when, away. When, oh. do you, when do you book your holidays? Or, or are you off all the time with your job? Well, with my job, I'm away a lot, oh. I must admit. But, again, I, I do avoid July and August, though, anyway. And, I mean, travel writers do because, you know, the airlines and the hotels don't really want us, you know, in their places during the peak times, of course, because they're fully booked. And so I always think that, you know, spring or autumn are often the best times to go away. And that's, you know, September, October, for instance, I'm away a lot. It's um, a wonderful time to be away because everything, everywhere has gone very quiet again after the summer. And usually the weather is much, much nicer. It's usually very, very pleasant wherever you are in the world. Lynn Hughes, uh, editor of Wanderlust Travel Magazine, thank you very much indeed. We did ask Centre Parks why they charge such a huge premium. Uh, but they declined to put anyone forward to speak. They did give us a statement. In line with many other companies, our prices are set according to demand. The price increase reflect the huge demand that we have for our short break holidays during peak season. We are 100% full during these periods and, in fact, have significant over-demand. In essence, our pricing reflects the popularity of our short breaks and the value which our guests place in them. Well, has it become too expensive to go on holiday when the schools are off? And... Is there anything wrong with taking your kids out of school for a week or two weeks to go on holiday? Some could argue that taking your kids somewhere interesting, not necessarily centre parks, but somewhere of historical interest, they might actually learn more for a week away than at school. I I remember we'd go off on holiday in in school time. We didn't have that many holidays when I was a kid, but we'd go off um, in, in term time. Never did me much harm. Is there a problem? We're taking kids out of school for a holiday, taking them to see a bit of the world, bit of experience, life experience that they won't get in a classroom. Is that really such a bad thing? It is frowned upon, and the government will be introducing fines if they haven't already. And Michael Gove is dead against it. It's in now, it's September, is it, it happens. Uh, 60 quid in September, you can be fined. But, really, is it that bad to take your kids out of school during term time, to take them on holiday? I would suggest not. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You're giving them a life experience. You're taking them to see something new, something different, different food. If you're going abroad, different culture. Unless you're one of those idiots that, as soon as you get to Spain or Greece or Italy or wherever, you look for the English cafe that shows English football matches and the X Factor. Oh, where I go to in Greece, there's a street, Lagana where uh, every, every bar advertises the fact they're showing Big Brother and the X Factor. No, 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 that's not what I go abroad for. But think about it. You save a lot of money, significant amount of money, when money's quite tight at the moment. Is it really that bad to take your kids out of school during term time to go on a holiday with them? 
Surely it's a sensible thing to do. 08459 four double five five double five. You can text as well. 81333, start your text 3CR. Well, there's been a big release of files of UFO stories as the MOD has closed its files. The truth is no longer out there. This is the front page of the Times. Or at least not as far as the RAF is concerned. The Ministry of Defence UFO desk has closed and released its final batch of classified papers. Well, I think that's sad. Of course there's other life out there. There has to be. There has to be. Glenn's from Hemel. Morning, Glenn. Hi, Ian. Have you seen a UFO? I have. Go on. Um, I was driving for a bakery company in um, Watford, uh, approximately at half past four in the morning, driving through Chorleywood Common. I saw a bright light in the sky, so I pulled over, turned the headlights off. It was early morning. Um, I sat and watched it for 40-odd minutes, um, going across the sky, floating around. I filmed it all on my phone. Um, a very interesting sort of thing, you know? It was, it was um, a shooting star, Glenn? No. It was a meteorite? No. It was a satellite? No. How do you, how do you know it wasn't? Just by the way it was moving across the sky, and, you know? It was yeah. sort of like... It was almost like it was like um, organic, sort of like a jellyfish sort of movement, you know? And when you say this to people, Glenn, because listen, I, when, when I, I don't really, well, I've said it on radio now, but I don't, I was asked, by, oh, hello, I was asked by my local paper to go and talk about this UFO, and I said, do you know what, I'm not going to, because people will think I'm a nut job. Do people think you're a nutter, Glenn? Uh, possibly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've always, been, I've always been into, uh, oh, like that. I bet they do. Sort of thing, Ian, and, yeah. um, and there's a lot happening out there that we don't know about, you know what I mean? Glenn, you are absolutely right. With a laugh like that, I suspect that m- people do. But I, I, listen, I believe you. My local paper said, oh, would you uh, like to um, come and uh, talk about the UFO? No, thanks. Why, it's a great story. No, no, no need to. I know what I saw. I don't know people pointing at me. Now, listen, if you've got young ears in the car or in uh, the house with you, we're going, we're going to have a grown-up discussion now. You've got 30 seconds to, to think about whether you want them to listen to this or not. We are going to have a grown-up discussion about um, uh, adult things. We'll keep it, um, you know, kind of radio-friendly, but you just might not want your young, young, young kids to have a listen to this. Uh, there's been a lot of talk in the, dis, uh, uh, in the media recently about the damaging effect that pornography could be having on some sections of society. Well, a pastor with the Free Evangelical Church will be in Bedfordshire tomorrow holding a talk for men that will discuss issues around sexuality and the use of pornography. Well, Gerald Coates is the co-writer of a book called Sexual Identity and joins me now. Morning, Gerald. Good morning, Ian. What exactly will your, your, your day involve tomorrow? Uh, well, um, we are in Stockfold uh, in Hertfordshire, and uh, we're in a church um, which is called King's Baptist Church. Anybody can come along. It's from 10 until 4. It's completely free. Uh, bring your own lunch, and uh, that's about it. And basically, the day will consist of myself, a sort of a father figure, for want of a better phrase, uh, within the church in the country, and a guy called Nathan Ferreira, who for four years was a porn addict and he, he was watching every day and all the behavior that goes with it and was suicidal um if i told you his story and then introduced him to you you go no this 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 can't be the guy in the story because he's very good looking tall funny um, very witty but but this was him and he is typical of a lot of 16 17 18 year olds who were first of all inquisitive then got lured into looking at this stuff 
and then got hooked. And um, how did you, well, obviously, you, you, it's, it's a day-long course, so I don't expect the whole thing, but how did you um, help him with his porn addiction? We really sat him down, because the, the, the actual name of the book, Ian, is Sexual Healing, but the subtitle is Identity, Sexuality, Calling. And most guys that are looking at a, a very unhelpful level of porn secretly identify themselves uh, as pornographers. Uh, they're, they're not talking to mum about it, they're not talking to dad about it. Even if they're in the church, they're not even talking to their pastors about it because they feel so much shame and guilt about it all. So we're trying to bring all this out. So I sat Nathan down and talked to, uh, to him about his identity, who he really was, what, and that identifying yourself by what you're doing in secret sexually is very, very damaging because sex, as a married man of over 40 years, is a very important part of our lives. But to actually identify ourselves by what we're doing in private with someone else can be a very, very damaging thing. And you are so much more than that, Nathan. And eventually the penny dropped and his whole life changed on January the 12th last year. He went from watching porn every single day of his life, and on Saturdays many times, because his parents were out, to stopping on January the 12th. And between January the 12th last year and December, he didn't watch 20 seconds of it. Um, he, he said to me, I feel I've got my life back. Well, that, that is fantastic. Would you say that the, all pornography is, is bad, Joe? There's, there's nothing wrong with a little bit now and then, is there? I've thought a lot about this, Ian, um, because of the world we live in. Um, I, I, I don't know of a girlfriend or a wife who are saying, my husband only watches an hour of this a week. It's, it's fantastic. I just don't know anybody. Girlfriends and wives feel very cheated, let down. Their normal response is, aren't I enough? What are you, what are you looking at this for? And there are actually well, some very... some couples do like indulging in it, don't they? Yes, some couples do. Yes, and that that's up to them. I mean, I can give my opinions on it, but we're not going around the country telling people how they should live. We're simply responding to a growing level. It's quite interesting, actually, and because um, Time magazine, who are pretty good with their statistics. Uh, are saying that both in Australia and more recently the UK, about 24 to 25 percent of regular guys of all ages are very disturbed about how much porn they're watching and don't know where to go for advice or help. And they're the people that we're wanting to sit alongside and help. As for people that, that are using it in their marriage or their boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, well, no doubt you've got your views and I've got mine, but we're not going around telling people how they should conduct their private lives. Joe, a big part of this uh, this course tomorrow is uh, sexual identity. Yes. What, what exactly does that mean? Obviously there's the pornography side to it. What, what other aspects are you covering? I, I think all aspects, really. Um, what we've discovered after um, a huge amount of research and talking to scores of guys is that um, people start looking for porn at the age of 13 or thereabouts. By 16, they're watching huge amounts of it, and many are addicted. So just yesterday, a mother came to me with her 16-year-old son, which is very, very brave of him, because he, he is depressed and suicidal about the level of porn he's watching, which I found out yesterday was every single day. And he's 16, for goodness sake. And he's seeing things that, 
you know, if you had a couple of people, a guy and a girl, man and a wife, staying at your home, you'd hardly be standing in the door frame of the house watching them have sex together in the bedroom. People would say you're an absolute pervert. But that is what porn is. We're looking at mainly prostitutes who are being paid to do this or to people who've been brought into slavery. These are not people that love each other, care for each other. It, it is a world of utter deception, um, crime, uh, and uh, slavery. What if someone comes uh, uh, tomorrow, Gerald, and is, is confused about their sexuality and, uh, and who's, who's possibly gay? What, what would you be able to tell them? Well, first of all, we would try and find out when were you first aware of your sexuality? Who were you attracted to? Do you know why? All of that research has to be done. And quite often a guy will say, well, you know, my older brother taught me how to masturbate and I quite enjoyed it, so I thought I must be gay. Uh, Matthew Paris, the atheist homosexual, is brilliant on this subject. You know, he says that um, there there are no two tribes, straight and gay. Our sexuality is very, very complex as it is. But are you, are you, sorry, sorry, just we're running out of time. Just, just I know it, the, the M word is is uh, acceptable in adult conversation. Sure. Just remember, we have young ears listening, Gerald. That's all. And apologies yes, to anyone who, no. who, who may be offended. Uh, what what I, are you? I really sa- used another no. word because I'm all used to that. No, don't use we the other one. For goodness' sake! <laughs> oh no! But what, what are you saying? Are you saying that if, if someone came in who, who thought they were gay, you could what cure them of being gay? No, I don't do that. I think what we could. I don't even like the phrase. Um, I think what we can do is find out where things happened, what were the factors that led them down a certain route, are you happy with that? If people are happy with being gay, if people are happy sleeping around, if people are happy doing things that are within the law, we don't think it's our right to go around telling them what what they, they could or should be doing. We simply want to help people that are saying, I really am not happy at the age of 16, for example, or 18, or 28, with the way my life's going from a sexual point of view, it's affecting my thinking, my behaviour, my relationships, how I view the opposite sex, or indeed, as you're saying, Ian, the same sex. I do not want my life dominated by this sort of thing. I'm much more than that. Gerald, thank you very much for coming on. It's appreciated. Gerald Coates, uh, co-writer of the book Sexual Healing. Um, and he'll be giving a talk tomorrow to help young people who may be addicted to uh, pornography. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. If you want to uh, give us a call, don't forget as well, we're talking this morning, about how it's much more expensive to take kids on holiday during the school holidays. October next year, half-term holiday, £1,149, Centre Parks. The week after, £499. That's a huge markup, isn't it? Well, is it too expensive to take kids on holiday during the school breaks? And is there anything wrong with taking them out of school? I don't see a problem with it. I don't see a problem if you can't afford to take your kids on holiday in August. Well, take them out of school for a week in September. Take them out of a school for a week in June. Is there really a problem? They're not going to miss that much. Not obviously if they're in the, sitting their exams. That might be a little bit foolish. But if they're 7, 8, 9, 10, there's not really a problem, is there? 08459 455 555. You can text as well, 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. No, I think it's impossible. Oh, there we go. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Do give us a call. 
coming up in the next 30 minutes. Cycling, UFOs and parking. Oh, it's travel-themed. It's all travel, is it? And holidays. It's all travel. It's a travel special. For goodness, I'm still feeling rather bloated. I had eight brioche for breakfast. Eight brioche. Oh, I feel sick. I feel absolutely awful. Never mind. I think we'll get by. Now, if you were listening to this show last week, you will remember we were discussing cycling. And I was asking whether cyclists were a menace on our roads. Well, we certainly had a debate going with many people saying that roads just aren't safe enough for cyclists. Uh, Justin Dealey went and did a Vox Pop as well. Good morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. Uh, You went out and you spoke to lots of people. A lot of people didn't have very nice things to say about cyclists, did they? No, they didn't. A lot of people were saying that they certainly are a menace on our roads. Uh, They've got no respect. They think they can do what they want. They're going through red lights. Um, the road tax issue didn't really come up, but in terms of the cyclists as well, we both got abused, didn't yep. we? Because you were getting that on Twitter and on the phones. When I was on the street talking to cyclists, they were saying to me, oh, here we go again. You're here just to knock us. You don't know what it's like to be out there on a bike, on the roads. It's dangerous. You simply don't know what you're talking about, and I won't be talking to you on the record about my cycling. And uh, we, we kind of uh, sort of agree with that so to to investigate this more deeply mm-hmm. we decided to go out on well, well first of all we wanted to go out on bicycles but then you came up with a good idea of going out on a bicycle yeah. <laughs> yes a tandem um the two of us together so we put the appeal out on air last week at about what 10 past eight in the morning at about 20 past eight mark chapman phoned you he's from site concern in bedfordshire and he said ian i've got a tandem it's worth about 800 pounds you can take it if you want to and you can go out onto the streets and you can experience what it's really like to be a cyclist on the roads in bedfordshire well we did we he did offer that Say that just now. I'll speak to you in a second. He did offer us the uh, use of his bicycle. We used it. This is what happened. Justin, you ready? Push, yeah, ready, push, 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 push. Pedal. Ah! Go, 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 go. Mind that car. There we go. This is it. It's right, we're going to do a right turn, Clyde. Signal, signal. <laughs> turn it round. Let's Thanks. turn it round and head back. Yep. Okay. Get my leg over. What gear are you in? Jeans and a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to describe what you're seeing now. It's a um, tandem bike. Um, yeah, two guys trying to ride a tandem bike, going the wrong way. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Do you ride a bike? Yes, I do, yes. You do. And, and I'm going on a bike ride this weekend, a charity bike ride. In my personal view, I mean, Ian doesn't help, but I don't feel safe on this bike. When you're on the roads, do you feel safe? No. I tend to ride my bike uh, um, along the in the parks and then the waterways it's a lot safer there's some idiots on the road that have no use they've got four wheels and they see a person on two wheels a lot more challenging and they have no respect for those other those people should we go back yes let's do that turn around I'm on the front well, oh, so they're trying to turn the bike around in the middle of the road look a bit silly and neither of them are pedaling oh here they're pedaling and it's downhill so I have to run oh I don't like being at the back I do not like being at the back. What's it like at the front, Justin? It feels good. It feels we might good. need to get out of the way of this big van. No, 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 they can go past. They can go past. Oh, can they? Is that what happens? Oh, oh, there's somebody else on a bike. Hello, fellow biker. Oh, my God, you're yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we recognise you, Just. That man was saying, oh, my God, you're famous. I don't know what feels better, actually, being on the front or watching Kelly Betts run. <laughs> I can see your pants. Can you? And a little bit of bumper. Yes, I know. My jeans come down a little bit low. I haven't got brakes. I tell you what I don't like being at the back. 
I can't see where I'm going. I've got no brakes and can't steer. And I'm looking at his backside the whole time. It's <laughs> right, <laughs> Mark. We've just been out for about 15, 20 minutes on the bike. How'd you get on? Uh, it's exhausting. We swap positions. I, I, I liked being at the front because you're in control. Yeah. You can see what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't pedalling. Sitting at the back, I didn't like it. it made me very, very uncomfortable. Uh, how, how do your, your, uh, the people that come and ride this, the blind people you work with, feel about using this? I think people know me very well, so they were quite comfortable with me and trusted me. Because um, there were people that had never ridden a bike ever. Um, there was one guy who's registered blind who had to go on the front and steered round the grass. He's on the end of the video that I showed uh, you. Uh, yeah. A guy called Lenny, and one of the ladies went on the back with him, which I wouldn't have probably done. Lenny sounds like a nice chap. I'm not getting on the bike with him at the front. <laughs> Justin, listen, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, we, we kind of found out that, yeah, cyclists do get a bit of a tough time on the roads with okay. other vehicles. But the, the, the thing I found out that's more important is you're actually a really, really nice guy. And do you want to go away on a cycling weekend or something? Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. I'd love to. Let's go. Yeah. Ta-ta. So that's what happened. It is really hard to ride that thing, isn't it, Justin? It is very hard, actually. It's um, a lot harder on the front because you're oh. doing all the work. No, I found the back harder because I couldn't see where I was going. And you can't, you've got handlebars, but obviously you can't <laughs> steer. It was, um, it was a bizarre experience. But I think, uh, you know, based on the conversations we had last week with cyclists who were giving us a hard time, I think we've now experienced yep. what they go through. Yep. And to be fair, you know, they do have it hard out there. What we found in our experience that the motorists didn't really give us the respect and um, in terms of safety as well this could be psychological but i didn't feel safe on that bike whatsoever no i didn't like this justin thank you very much that was myself and justin Daly uh, in luton on a tandem bike we can speak now to greg woodford he's a cycle training officer with the national cycling charity ctc morning greg morning ever been on a tandem before i have yes it's hard work it's hard isn't it it's different it's just get, it is getting used to once you once they motor once you get up to speed on a tandem on the flat it, they do move very far on the flat and going straight it's fine what was difficult was actually getting the thing to move and turning corners those two things didn't work for me and our tongues were slightly in our cheeks but one thing we did notice is that the cars don't give cyclists that much room or that much respect do they yes and no um uh they often do, um, in my experience. I mean, I think what it is, is 90% or maybe even more, 99% of, of drivers out there are wonderful people, are very considerate and, 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 and support you a lot in the cyclists. There is the odd one who doesn't, and that is, as a perception, that makes it a, a lot worse because the one that you feel that cuts you up or, or, or treats, you, treats you badly is the one that sticks in your mind. Some people do say, and we had this last week, that cyclists are a menace on the roads and we should just get rid of them. What, what do you say to that? Well, every road user can be called that, can't they? I mean, you know, uh, I don't want to turn it around and say car drivers are a menace, but, you know, uh, it, it is, there is somebody out there in every, in every field, a lorry driver, bus driver, car driver, van driver, cyclist, who is a menace. But the majority of people in every, in every area of uh, traffic, road traffic, tries to do their best to fit in other people i think what can we do to make cycling safer greg is it creating more specific uh, cycle lanes and cycle paths is it training what what should we be doing training is the key thing um it gives the cyclist confidence it gives the cyclist knowledge of how to look and where to look and where the hazards are coming from specifically positioning on the road as a cyclist is 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 is, is key you need to be positioned in a place where you can see and be seen that is vital uh, for the safety of the cyclists 
Um, and that also encourages passing drivers to overtake you properly and not cut you up. The moment you are cut up by a driver is because you're too tucked into the side of the road. I'm not saying cycle in the middle of the road, but I'm saying cycle in a position where the following drivers can see you properly. Greg, I appreciate you coming on uh, the air this morning. It's Greg Woodford, uh, cycle training officer with the national cycling charity CTC. Uh, if you want to um, uh, see some video footage of myself and Justin Dealey on that tandem, uh, and who wouldn't, uh, then go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR or follow at BBC3CR on Twitter. And uh, you can also hear some of that in the podcast as well that will be released a little bit later on today. Now, UFOs. That they have to exist, don't they? They have to exist. It's, mathematically, there have to be other life forms out there. Well, Leslie's in Milton Keynes. Good morning, Leslie. Hello. Now, Leslie, you work at the airport. Yes, I do. So, so do you see many strange things hovering around? Um, I've seen two lots. We actually saw something Wednesday night oh. at 21.05 hours. Now, hang on a minute. That's 19, eight, uh, five minutes past nine. That's right. Yeah, we go. Okay. What did you um, see? My colleague called me upstairs. He was looking out we do various patrols and things and it was just a big oblong sort of shape but it was really bright and we just stood there looking at it he said well that's not a plane because I mean we see them all the time yeah and then both the sides of it just went right in the middle and it like, like you squeezing a squeeze box in and it vanished but it stayed there for about 20 seconds and did you yeah. speak to any other people who, who saw this? I asked Maggie the cleaner because she was up cleaning the offices. She goes, oh, why didn't you shout me? You should have shouted for Maggie. The Maggie floor. the cleaner, come, there's a UFO! I know. Come down! I've You'd... seen something six years ago as well with the engineers, because I, I work night shift, you see. Yeah, go on. And I was doing another patrol at a different hangar, and me and three other engineers, we saw these discs going really quickly over the hangar. Yeah. And they couldn't work it out, and one of them had been there for 30 years, so it was just really weird. And did you go and speak to the air traffic control or, or someone in authority who could yeah, verify this? Yeah, the pilots, he's seen things. Really? And I've also spoke to one of the SDOs at the airport who said that, yeah, they've seen a couple what, of things. What did the pilot see? Yeah, a pilot's seen um, a disc. He was telling us what? he was flying back from... What, in the sky? Yeah. It wasn't just a disc. All right, it, was, it, was, it was flying in the sky. Okay, so he was flying back, uh, back to, to Luton. He'd seen it ahead of the plane, and it actually vanished so quickly. It was just unreal. Now, is it, is it true that if pilots report these things, they get taken off for being nut jobs? Um, no, not always. No. I think not, not so much nowadays. Right. Yeah. I, think it's I, taken I, a... I see what you're saying, but no, I mean, as I said, six years ago, we, I saw it with three engineers in the car park, and this was about three in the morning. But this one we saw was Wednesday. Uh, you didn't get the cleaner involved, Leslie. I know. That was your and we first... didn't have the phone either on us yeah. at the time, because he called me upstairs quickly. It's like a big balcony to look out the window, and I, I ran up, and he goes, look at this, what is it, what is it? And I said, I don't know. It's about the size of the length it would have been if you put three seven-sixes together. Yeah. Wingspan, it would have been about that size. Flip it, Nick. Leslie, listen, I appreciate that. Didn't get Wendy the cleaner involved, though. Gotta get Wendy the cleaner. Why didn't you call Wendy the cleaner, Leslie? Oh eight four five nine. Here, my voice is going now. Oh, the voice is going. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number. I want your UFO stories now. Generally, the supernatural, I do not believe in ghosts, uh, uh, psychics. I don't think so. None of that stuff works. UFOs, though, it's not supernatural. 
it's science. It's, it's science. They have to exist. Now, a, cl- uh, a claim from a man in Cardiff who said a UFO abducted his dog, took his car in his tent while he was camping with friends. Another from someone who said they'd been living with an alien in Carlisle for some time. These are just two of the thousands of reports contained in declassified documents released by the National Archive today. The final files cover the final two years of work carried out by the MOD's UFO desk before it was shut down in 2009. Well, Nick Pope, who headed the desk in the early 1990s, said it hadn't received any conclusive evidence of extraterrestrial activity. There was no spaceship in a hangar smoking gun. There's no single document that's going to say, uh, as conspiracy theorists might believe, this is all real and uh, we're keeping it secret. What there is, however, is a number of cases that even those of us at the MOD couldn't explain, even after a rigorous investigation. Well, John Wickham is a UFO expert from Hertfordshire. Morning, John. Good morning. What have you seen? Um, nothing, basically. Um, there's a a lot of, uh, anecdotal evidence, uh, which means individual witness testimony to these things. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence. Uh, but there's no definitive proof that, uh, we have been visited by extraterrestrial beings. Do you not find that frustrating, that as a UFO expert, you've not seen one? I've seen one. I've seen one twice. You've seen what twice? See, I've seen a UFO. Well, everybody sees UFOs, meaning that any craft that's flying in the sky that you cannot identify, by default, is an unidentified yes. flying object. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean it's extraterrestrial in origin. But you've not even seen a UFO. Uh, well, I've seen UFOs, as I said just now, right. everybody sees UFOs, but uh, if you mean flying saucers, then that's a different question. Mine was definitely a spaceship. And how do you know that? Because it couldn't have been anything else. <laughs> Well, as I say, that's anecdotal evidence, but for me there's no definitive proof. Well, it's, proof it's anecdotal evidence for you, but yes. for me it's factual evidence. Uh, so it was a craft that was circular in shape, uh, where there's a lot of drones that the military use, and, and we use in this country quite a lot. It doesn't necessarily mean it was extraterrestrial. I didn't say it was circular in shape, John. Ah. Ah! It's, it's ah! Disc. They've got to you! They've got to you, John, you ah. see? You're, you're working, My mind's been taken over, has you're, it? You're working for the government. <laughs> so what kind of stories have you heard? Um, well, all sorts, really. Um, people say they, they've been abducted, um, and unfortunately, um, not saying in every single case, but there are people that um, have some psychological issues and people that need a, a bit of attention. They are attention seekers. And unfortunately, this particular um, topic does attract those sorts of people. Not jobs. Uh, but there is a serious side to the subject as well. Some people really do believe that. Well, there was, uh, there was a documentary, I think, on ITV last week or the week before where it was a, a lady claiming that she had some sort of relations with UFOs. I, I didn't see it, but from what I heard, she was I, clearly... It, 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 it would perhaps be fair to say she was possibly a little unwell. Um, that's a fair conclusion. Uh, that was, I saw that was on Channel 4. Some friends Channel of mine actually run that particular group. Right. Um, but, yeah, as I say, uh, I go back to my earlier statement where some people, um, they have some psychological issues uh, and some people do need uh, a bit of attention. But that's I not to say everybody's like that. I don't, I don't believe that the aliens have, have sucked people up into their spaceships and, and, and stuck probes in all different kinds of holes and things like that. That, that sure. I don't believe in. But, okay. But, but, but mathematically... There has to be other life out there, doesn't there? Absolutely, because there's, there's over 300 billion stars in our galaxy, and there's over 100 billion galaxies in total. Uh, and as we know, these stars are suns, and in our solar system, our sun has planets orbiting it, which we know as a fact that these other suns have planets orbiting it, uh, those two. And we know for a fact, scientific fact, that some of these planets have uh, the same elements and gases that are abundant on Earth, 
Therefore, it's quite feasible and logical that some form of life could exist. But life doesn't have to be as we know it, or even as we understand it. Have it's you, quite feasible. Have you seen any real evidence, John? Any, have, you, have you held anything? Have you seen anything that has made you go, oh, yeah, no, this, this is 100%? Um, well, there's some interesting NASA footage. Um, their, their Space Transportation System 75, or STS-75, if you tap that information in Google, and you'll see some NASA footage on uh, YouTube, that lasts about six minutes, 50 seconds, something like that. That's very, very interesting. It shows some different craft, allegedly, in space um, that are under control but uh, are not man-made. So that, that's, that's an interesting piece of footage. I should be Googling that a little bit later on. And, yes. and uh, th- these documents that have been uh, released, the final set of documents from yeah. the, uh, the MOD, did, anything exciting in there? No, not really. They're just mundane letters from the public. Uh, but because they've been released by the MOD, people think, oh, it's secret. Yep. The, 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 the government uh, are eventually telling the truth about aliens, where there's no conspiracy. Um, the UFO desk closed in November 2009 because there was a lack of uh, proof uh, that these, these things existed. Uh, they're just mundane things from the from general public. John, thank you very much. John Wickham, UFO expert from Hertfordshire. <laughs> Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hey, Fox was on the telly the other night. Unfortunately, it was on Watchdog. Tickets were being issued on Britannia Street in Aylesbury, even though the lines were hard to see and an enforcement sign was missing. The lines have just been repainted. But uh, we can give you an idea of the amount of money that parking fines bring in. Bucks County Council collected nearly £1.5 million from parking tickets in the last, excuse me, financial year. While nationally, I know, I'm, no, I've got, I'm windy pops because I've got this sore throat. So I'm sucking down big bits of air. I apologise. It really is disgusting. I'm turning into Wally Webb. Uh, while nationally, 8 million tickets netted local authorities around £600 million. 28,500 penalty charge notices were issued in Bucks between April the twen- uh, April 2012 and the end of March. Well, Jeanette Miller, is, uh, who's a specialist motoring defence lawyer and president of the Association of Motor Offence Lawyers, joins me now. Good morning, Jeanette. Morning, Ian. Some incredible statistics for revenues received by local authorities for parking infringements. Is this figure rising year by year? Um, I, I believe so. The figure that I am aware of is one that was published in the um, Daily Mail of 1.2 billion, but that relates to the entire parking industry, the enforcement industry. So it may well include private tickets as well as those that are collected by the local authorities. The thing is, a lot of these tickets are handed out incorrectly, and most people don't fight them, do they? Well, that's, I think, something that local authorities rely upon. The amount in, in issue to a lot of people, whilst it's going to be annoying, it's going to be um, a not insubstantial sum, it is un- unlikely to make people go to the effort and the, the trouble, the time, the money, to actually take it to an appeal. The appeal process is actually quite straightforward, but I think a lot of people just find it annoying, an annoyance and leave it at that. We heard, uh, we spoke to a gentleman earlier on whose initial appeal was rejected uh, and he took it to a further appeal and won. How, how do you do that and how common is that? Um, well, you first of all appeal to the local authority and um, in a lot of cases they're, they're, they will accept that the uh, penalty charge notice should not have been issued. But in those that they don't, there is a further appeal service available. And depending where on where in the country you live, if you go on Google and, and you look in how do I appeal a parking ticket, 
there's a lot of free information. I, I would actually recommend that you don't bother to, to instruct a solicitor to help you, um, simply because the solicitor's costs are going to be far more than the, the parking ticket involved. So, yeah, the information's very much readily available on the, online, and you take it to an appeal. The appeal process is, is quite straightforward, and a lot of appeals are heard without an actual hearing, are heard on paper, and uh, the vast majority, when they, they're taken to that stage, are successful. It's just that lots of people don't bother. And who regulates the local authorities to ensure that motorists are getting a fair deal? Well, very, very good question. The answer to that, which may surprise you, is nobody. Oh. There is no regulation, no external regulation of the local authority, and that's something that I've been talking about, uh, particularly over the last few weeks, because I, I can't believe that an industry worth the amount of money that we've just been talking about has nobody independent checking up on it to make sure that it's doing its job properly, because ultimately the local authority is supposed to be um, upholding its obligation to ensure that traffic and parking is carried out so that there is free flow of traffic, it's safe for motorists and pedestrians, and that's why it's there, that's why the enforcement rules are are in place. But when there's such a conflict between what their obligations are supposed to be and what the, I suppose, the indirect consequence, which is a huge financial benefit for them by collecting all this revenue, it's not surprising that there are quite a lot of stories going around at the moment of local authorities not actually reacting to appeal decisions and not reacting to complaints about poor signage, things like that. Because if if they were to improve poor signage, faded yellow lines, things things that that could make it clearer to the motorists, then arguably they may not collect as much revenue. Jeanette, we have to end it there. Thank you very much. Jeanette Miller, who uh, is uh, president of the Association of Motor Offence Lawyers. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Booking has opened for the new Centre Park site in Woburn, which will open its doors to customers next year. Well, like every other holiday company in the UK, it charges more during holidays than term time. Has it become too expensive to go on holiday when the schools are off? Is there anything wrong with taking kids out of school for a week or two weeks to take them on holiday? A Buckinghamshire street was the star of Watchdog this week because of its faded yellow lines. Tickets were issued on Britannia Street and Aylesbury, even though the lines were hard to see and an enforcement sign was missing. Well, have you ever disputed a parking fine? And the National Archives have released more than 25 files relating to the sightings of unidentified flying objects. In 2009, there are about 600 unexplained sightings. Have you ever seen anything you couldn't explain? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Today I'm asking, has it become too expensive to go on holiday when the schools are off? Well, this week an exhibition is open to show people more detail about the new centre parks in Bedfordshire. 
The Holiday Centre will welcome its first visitors next year and bookings have just opened. And in line with all holiday firms, we can see the difference it's charging between term time and school holidays. It's quite a big gap. Okay, a week after the half-term holiday in October, okay, a week after, four nights, price is £499. Four nights the week before, during the half-term, £1,149. Christine Hood is former secretary of the Hertfordshire branch of the National Union of Teachers. She says she doesn't blame parents who take their children out during term time because of the rise in prices. It's not the parents' fault. It's the holiday companies. Why do they double the price almost when it's school holidays? It's totally unfair on hard-working people. If holidays were the same price all year round, parents wouldn't be forced to go when it was cheaper. Well, Andrea in Hitchin thinks that the price of holidays when schools are shut is extortion, don't you, Andrea? I certainly do. T- tell me your, your story. Well, well, firstly, I won't ever be going to the centre parks in, in Bedfordshire, um, ever, because it's just, that, that's absolutely obscene. Um, we, we went on holiday um, a few years ago, and I have always taken my children the first two weeks they go back in September instead of the sort of the two weeks that they break up just before they break up. Um, our very last holiday was to uh, Florida in, in America, um, and it cost us, I think it was 2600 if my memory serves me correctly, for two adults, two children. Um, if we'd have gone the two weeks in August before they went back to school... Um, I think it rose to something like 4,800. Yowza! Yeah. That's incredible! Well, the thing was, what was more incredible was that was nearly half of my annual wage. Yeah. um, For for a two-week holiday, which I I felt was slightly obscene. Um, And for that reason, I've never, ever... I, I, I mean, we camp as well, but I, I've never, ever taken my children in the school holidays. How old are your kids, Andrea? Um, well, I've got three now. Um, 14, 11 and 4. And would you take the 14-year-old out of school during term time? I probably wouldn't now because yep. he's now doing GCSEs, but I did. Um, right. I mean, I'm, I'm going back sort of three years ago when we went... And what did the school say? Uh, well, they wouldn't authorise the, they wouldn't authorise the um, holiday. However, I was informed by somebody on the PTA, and I don't quite know whether or not this is 100% true, but um, that you are allowed 10, 10 days, um, 10 school days, academic days, off um, before anyone else can get involved, you know, whether it be the child services or whatever. I think that, I think that is true. I've heard that figure of being allowed 10 days um, off. But if you, so took, if you took more than 10 days off, child services would get involved. Well, I, I think, is it, is it, I don't know, it's something to do with yeah. school... Um, but I, I'm afraid it was a case of I'll take it as unauthorised, and if you want to, if you want to take me to court and oh dear, do, do that... it please, because I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't have physically afforded us to have had a holiday. Um, you know, sort of a, a four and a half thousand, nearly five thousand pounds. No, it's ridiculous. So, Andrea, listen, thank you very much. Is that the kind of place we live in now? The kind of world we live in? Oh yeah, no, I'm not going to let your kids go on holiday. Take you to court. What? Really? Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Would love to speak to you this morning if you've had a run in with your school because you wanted to take your kids out uh, during term time when they're six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's no real problem with that, is there? I mean, what are they learning? It's not kind of real stuff, is it? It's not exam stuff. Oh wait, four five nine four double five. Five, double five. Joined now by John McDonald, who is the director of the charity The Family Holiday Association, and also Sean Tipton from the Association of British Travel Agents. Good morning to both of you. 
Yes, good morning. Sean, we'll, we'll start with you. Charging more yeah. during holidays happens across the board. What's the average increase? Well, I think you gave an example about one particular company, and that is that is very high, because I've done some research on this a number of times over the years, and the average increase is about 25 to 30 percent. And that, that, I won't deny that is, you know, a fairly substantial increase, but there's a very simple reason for that. The travel industry is like any other, really. It's very, very sensitive to issues of supply and demand. Now, obviously, when the schools, um, when turns on is going demand goes down quite substantially by the same token as soon as everybody goes on holiday it goes up substantially the other issue as well <clears throat> if you look at the dates when the schools take their main holidays that's christmas easter and july and august they're very busy times of year anyway even if the schools didn't take their holidays then it would still be very expensive because you know they're bank holidays and in july and august in particular everybody wants to go on holiday now. understandably it's the height of summer and if you look at um, around the mediterranean where we take about 90 percent of our foreign holidays it's not just us that want to go on holiday then. The whole of France does, Spain, Greece, in fact, the whole of Europe takes their holidays at that period. So unsurprisingly, hotels will put their prices up. It's as simple as that, really, because if you're trying to, you know, when you have, you know, that massive increase in demand, that's obviously sensibly when you'll put your price up by the same token when demand is lower. And that's particularly true in the months, say, June and September. <clears throat> That's when they put their prices down, so that makes the difference even more marked. But the only solution to this for, <clears throat> sorry to cough on you here, for families would be for change the dates when the schools take their main holidays, as simple as that, really. Instead of taking breaks in July and August, think of June or September. This is something we've suggested to the government time and again. This issue comes up every year, and it always will. Because the only solution to it would be to spread that demand out, really, simple as that. John from the Family Holiday Association. Should parents be allowed to remove kids from school to go on holiday? I think that there's too many families in this country who never get the opportunity during school holidays or during school term time to get a break. Uh, that's a job in, in life is to help those disadvantaged families get a break. One in, one in every three families uh, can't afford the simplest of breaks. And, you know, I, I couldn't agree more with Sean from APTA that, uh, you know, the problem really doesn't lie with the travel industry. They're there to make a profit, but the story I hear from the travel industry is more of scrabbling to reduce losses than celebrating humongous profits. The real issue is about the way that holidays are structured in the UK, the way that uh, parents are put under enormous pressure. You had the lady earlier talking about the school, uh, putting pressure on her not to take her child out of school. But the truth is that there's uh, parents are allowed something like 10 days uh, to take the child out of school during term time, but only with the permission of the head teacher. And what's going to make the situation even worse is that in September, Michael Gove is thinking about uh, taking that um, uh, authority away from head teachers so they won't even be allowed to authorise absence. And also, Michael Gove is, is introducing this £60 fine. But that's not going to stop people. If, if they're saving four, five hundred quid on a holiday by having it in September, they'll, they'll happily pay the 60 quid, won't they? And, of course, if greater pressure is put on parents to go during holiday time, what that will mean will be greater demand during holiday time. There'll be less demand uh, off peak and shoulder period. Price differential will expand. And the demand, uh, the people, will, the, the, the contrast between going expensive times and cheap times will become even greater. And the pressure on families to actually take the children out and break the law will become even more important. <sighs>
Sean, are there enough incentives for parents to mm. book their holidays when the schools are shut? Well, it's not so much, you know, incentives, but um, basically, I will say this very quickly, tour operators get the most criticism over this issue because obviously families will tend to take package holidays. But if you book a holiday, a package holiday early in January or February, you'll almost certainly get a free child place. Also, tour operators will um, give lower prices, you know, kind of child fares up until usually about the age of 14. I know, obviously, you think, well, of course, a 14, 16-year-old is a child as well. But if you think about it, a 16-year-old takes up a seat on a plane just as uh, an adult does. Well, so, does my, no cheaper. so does my three-year-old. My three-year-old has to buy, pay for a seat <clears> on a plane. Well, you get my point. So yeah, any child, once they're no longer a baby, will take a seat on a plane. So it's no cheaper for an airline to carry yeah. a child, but it's an adult, in effect, really. So if you give discounted fares, in effect, that is a form of subsidy. So I know it doesn't look that way, because if your family's obviously are under a lot of pressure, particularly at the moment with the state of the economy, but again, really, the only solution to this long term, and I, I know I sound a bit exasperated, but we have said this before to the government, is change the dates when the holidays are taken and allow schools to have a bit more flexibility about when they set those dates. So, because if, if you, seriously, I mean, if you go to the Mediterranean in May, June or September, I can't guarantee every day it's going to be lovely, you know, sunny weather, but it's generally very good. And it's actually, if you've got young children, the weather's actually more pleasant and the prices are considerably lower. Sean, I still need trucks and I'll get final word from John. John, I've always thought that the holiday can be uh, as invaluable as a week at school because you are seeing different things, you are eating different things, you, you're experienced, you're, you're learning in a different way, aren't you? Of course you are. Um, you've got to see the education of a child in the round. And, uh, you know, we're talking about families are being put under pressure and being banned from taking holidays in, uh, in term time. We've already got families who are banned effectively from taking a holiday at any time because of lack of cash in their pockets, lack of ability. We really need to take uh, a look at holidays and see how important they actually are, how important they are to the child, to the family, to the community, and get people, uh, give people the opportunity to go on holiday. Holidays are really, really important. And if we don't do something about it, there's a huge section of society, one in every three families can't afford a holiday. We've got to take a more sensible attitude to it. And it doesn't lie with the travel companies. It doesn't lie with people like Centre Parks, who've actually been very good to us in the past. People like Havens, people like Butlins, they're being very good to a charity like us. And I'd love to hear from Centre Parks to get some even more discounts from them in off-peak holidays. I think it's really important that the government takes its responsibility, looks at school holidays, and looks at the rather stringent rules they're now putting on head teachers about preventing uh, sensible access to holidays during term time. Chaps, we have to end it there. Thank you very much. The last voice was John McDonald, director of the charity, the Family Holiday Association, and also Sean Tipton from ABTA. ABTA, not from ABBA, from ABTA. Have you taken your kids out of school to get the, get cheaper holidays? Is there anything really wrong with it? If they're not doing their GCSEs or their A-levels, there's nothing wrong with taking your kids out for a week or two weeks, is there, in September? 08459 455 555. Then... <laughs> Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Hello. Your starter for Ted. Oh. No, I haven't got any. Uh, have you ever been on, don't do quizzes? you have any good at quizzes? No. No? No. I won Mastermind. I know you did. I won The Weakest Link. Yes, I know. Uh, by cheating a little I, bit. I was going to say, I thought you cheated. I did cheat a little bit, yes. Cheated twice. But only a little, two little cheats. I won um, Ready, Steady, Cook. R- really? Yeah. Oh, yes, I won Ready, Steady, Cook. Gosh. Didn't get paid for that one. Um, I have also... C- oh, I came last and come dine with me. That's my CV of, uh... 
quizzes. That's good. It's an impressive CV. Though. It is. I should have. I should have started with the come dine with me and worked backwards. Yes, you should have done it. And it was a bit of a letdown after that. I got a trophy for Mastermind. Really? Where does that sit on your mantelpiece? My mum's uh, mantelpiece. Oh, how nice! Yeah, I gave it to my mum. She's very pleased. Oh, she goes, my son. My son won that. What was his specialist subject? The monkeys. But it did not real subject, but I won. You love the monkeys, don't you? I do. I literally do love them. Yeah. They're your life. When I'm sad and lonely and everything goes wrong in my life and I lose my job and I lose my family and uh, I'm sat in a little um, uh, the, the bedsit, um, uh, uh, old and miserable and crying in my pants, I'll, I'll look at my monkeys' records and laugh. Oh, my word. Well, that's a tragic thought for us. I've been enjoying your show this week. Have I missed the um, the two stories that I like? The uh, the paint falling down the stairs and the lady with the gentleman who may or may not have drunk all her booze while he was sitting her epileptic dog. Well, it's... It, you, uh, the, the lady who um, is complaining about the dog-sitting company that she yep. used, she's thinking about what she wants to do. I'm hoping to speak to her later on. Because they offered her afternoon. some money, didn't they? They have offered her some money. Right. Um, by way of final settlement, 573 three pounds 33 and it was about 750 quid or something in total no she's looking for about a thousand because she also wants 250 quid for the alcohol that she says he drank ah yes of course of course so uh yes i'll hope to bring you a a a decision on that case probably beginning of next week okay thank Uh, you the paint case uh the customer is taking back the pot the broken pot to b and q they're the retailer that she bought this pot from and uh, they've said they're going to inspect it in the meantime they've offered her some free paint I do enjoy. I, you, you've been really. I, I really enjoyed your show this week. Thanks. I think you've been on fire. Oh, thanks. No, I think I, it's been some cracking stuff. Really? Yeah, very, very good. Well, we're hoping today's going to be interesting as well. What have you got today? Coming up on the big phone in this morning. Do you have any sympathy for Jeremy Forrest? He's a thirty-year-old teacher who started having a sexual relationship with one of his pupils when she was 15 years old. In court, he's been called a paedophile who groomed his pupil for sex before abducting her to France. As he left the the, uh, courtroom yesterday, he reportedly mouthed, I love you, to his former pupil, and she apparently mouthed, I'm sorry. A friend of Mr Forrest has told the Daily Mail they still love each other. Well, Jeremy Forrest may now face around seven years in prison. There's no doubt that what he did was wrong. There's no doubt that he acted inappropriately, and there's no doubt that the law must punish anyone who has sex with a person who's under 16 years of age. Ultimately, I'm sure we all feel very sorry for her and, of course, for her family. But, and it's very interesting on the internet, there are loads and loads and loads of people today who are expressing huge sympathy for him. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your views. Do you feel any sympathy for Jeremy Forrest? Call me 08459 455 555. We'll discuss that case at nine. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call or if you want to start getting your calls in for Jonathan Vernon Smith now, you can do so thusly. Now, have you ever seen anything in the skies that you couldn't explain? You're out maybe having a, a, a picnic one afternoon. You look up in the sky. Oh, my God, there's a, there's a UFO! Or maybe you're driving home for Christmas and you look out of the car, oh my God, there's a UFO! Maybe you have. I don't know. Well, the National Archives have released more than 25 files relating to the sightings of unidentified flying objects. In 2009, there were about 600 unexplained sightings, treble the number for the previous year. Well, we sent our own unidentified flying object. 
Justin Dealey out to talk about this, didn't we, Justin? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, morning, Ian. You well? You don't believe in all this stuff, do you? No, I do. Absolutely. Of course I believe. I mean, if we're here, there's got to be somebody else out there, surely. Yeah. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Just think there could be... um, I I wonder what an alien Justin Dealey would look like. (laughs) A very handsome alien. Well, still a little bit creepy and and dressing a little (laughs) bit younger than than maybe he should. Uh, Possibly. Who have you been speaking to this morning? Well, I'm live at Luton Airport right now. The plane spotters up here, they say, these are not UFOs. Foes. These are weather balloons or planes. Well, we had we had someone on the phone, Justin, who'd seen two different sightings of UFOs over the airport. Mm-hmm. She didn't tell Wendy the cleaner, unfortunately. <laughs> that was her downfall, I think. <laughs> but she claims to have seen two UFOs. Yeah, I mean, Timothy, he's been a plane spotter for 50 years. He says, nope, in my 50 years, I have not seen anything suspicious. However, this is a fantastic story. Joining me live here is Niels. Niels is from Germany. He's working in Lucerne, and he saw a UFO in Malaysia, which became big, big news. Tell us what you saw. All right, well, basically, we had three bright blue lights in the sky, and they were there every day for about two weeks. Then a newspaper article came out. There was a great video online as well. They went away for a week, and they came back again, the same spot, and everybody who was a student in the area was just watching it for weeks and quite fascinated by it. I mean, this video has become a YouTube sensation. When you saw this for the first time, what was going through your mind? I was pretty confused. I couldn't believe what I really saw, to be honest with you. And... Yeah, I just tried to find something out. I was quite surprised that the government did not deny it. So that was great, but I can't tell you more than that. don't really know what it is. Now, without this video, did people think that you were absolutely mad? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it depends who you really talk to. You. People are different. But some people, when they saw the video, were definitely convinced. Some wanted to see it straight away because they're fans of UFOs. So it just depends, to be honest with you. So you must now 100% believe in UFOs slash aliens? <laughs> That's a hard question. I mean... I don't know what I believe, but I definitely, I definitely don't believe when people say UFOs don't exist. But whether or not it's true, well, that's quite hard. Okay, and just remind us once again, just lastly, for anybody who didn't quite pick up on the first time you said this, just remind us again exactly what you saw with these lights. Just describe it for us. Three bright blue lights, a bit like a UFO saucer, if you will, spinning around in circles, zigzagging around the sky in the same sort of place for about two weeks every night, as soon as it got dark till it was sunrise. It's pretty crazy. Wow, incredible. Thank you so much for your time. That was Niels. That sounds pretty live. crazy. That sounds I mean, pretty Ian, crazy. There you go. You, talk, you come out onto the streets of Luton. Uh, the third person, uh, that was the third person I spoke to, Niels, and he's got a story like that. So people clearly are seeing things, and a lot of them, of course, can't be explained. Have you ever been probed? Ever been probed? Yeah. You have been sucked up into space on a spaceship and probed <laughs> by aliens? <laughs> I haven't, but, no? but you hear these stories of people that say, I was abducted by aliens. Were you? This happened to me, not me personally. Oh. But then again, you, you've got to question these people, because it can't be proved. Unless we can 100% prove it, we're always going to hear these stories. And some people are just chances. They just want to go out there. They want to sell their story oh and make loads dear. of money. You're so cynical. It's true, though, isn't it? Come on. Justin, thank you very much indeed. We can speak now to Geoffrey Crockford who is a biolocator who researches UFOs. What's a biolocator, Geoffrey? Well, he's somebody who uses the techniques of dowsing, but oh. in a uh, scientific, sort of rational way. Scientific dowsing. So um, we're able to um, follow uh, stories of UFOs yeah. and the ones that interest us of course are where they might have landed oh have, have you ever seen one jeffrey i've never seen one this is the thing all these ufo experts never seen one i've seen one twice 
Ah, yes, but if it landed, oh. then uh, let us know where it landed, and we'll go along and tell you whether a UFO, in fact, did land there. With your dowsing rods? Um, we look at the chemical trace. It's the With exhaust rods. from the engines. Yes. They leave the chemicals in the soil. So all we've got to do is to identify those chemicals in the soil, and we know that the vehicle has landed. Where do you, um, whereabouts are you going to look for these landed UFOs? Well, the one that we've done is at Rendlesham Forest, which is a well-known UFO site. Yes. Um, there was an American base there, and uh, the Americans who were on guard on the particular night, this is back in 1980, um, December, uh, very good account of it, and um, a group of us went along there, and we actually found the landing site. We found the huh? stains from the engines, we found the chemical stains from the pods, uh, or the feet that it's s- stood on, and Look we were that. able to confirm that in point A, a fact, a uh, oh. unidentified flying, flying object had landed there. And the chemicals they leave there, what kind of chemicals are they? I'm assuming they're unknown to mankind. Oh, no, no, they're well known. Oh, the, right, yeah. Um, The engines are what we call masers. They project um, a small amount of material at a very high velocity. Um, You know, a jet engine projects a whole mass of material at a low velocity. Right. And um, the chemicals that we look for are beryllium, copper, nitrate, and ammonia. They seem to be characteristic of the engines that they use, and we can look for these, <coughs> say, at the Rendlesham site. We're hoping to do a site over in Wales in the uh, later summer, and we look at um, crop circles as well. Oh, no, Jeffrey, no. Cro- crop, circles are, crop circles are fake. It's two blokes with a bit of wood. Everyone knows That's that. That's right, yeah. Uh, then why are you we, looking at them? Because they leave a chemical trace, we can pick up the traces of their boards and their boots and their ropes. But if you don't find the boards and if you don't find the boots and you find beryllium or copper, ammonia, yeah. or nitrate, oh, and a nice circle, and possibly um, the titanium from a couple the of pads empty that the, of white lightning. Uh, the ship lands on, then you're pretty certain that something has. Uh, landed there. Jeffrey, we have to leave it there. Thank you, Jeffrey Cropford, who is a buyer locator. That's the science of dowsing, of course. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Last 30 minutes of the show, or thence about, coming up before nine o'clock, a little bit of live music, as we do every Friday. By the way, if you're a, uh, uh, an unusual musical act, by unusual, I mean, um... Uh, well, you know what unusual means. It's, I'm not going to d- define that word for you, for goodness sakes. And you think you could come on the show on Friday morning and play some songs, then uh, do send me an email, ian.lee at bbc.co.uk. Maybe you play the fiddle with your feet. That would be great if you could. Uh, it doesn't have to be that unusual. What have we had in before? We've had um, a variation on the sitar. We had some harpists playing some rock and roll. Uh, we had a choir. We had a choir. We had, uh, we've had all kinds of things. Got a cracking one today. Cracking one today. We had some Indian singing last week, or the other week. So if it's something like that, something just a little bit more different than three blokes, two with acoustic guitars, singing about the girl called Sarah who broke their heart. 
And send me an email, ian.lee at bbc.co.uk, I-A-I-N dot L-double-E at bbc.co.uk. And uh, you could be here next week. We're also talking about school holidays. Uh, Centre Parks, not the only holiday company that does it, but there is a new one opening up. They've just released their prices. Next October half term, £1,149 for four days. The week after, when kids are back at school, £499. It's, it's commonplace across the board. I, it does make me think, what's wrong with taking your kids out of school for a week or two weeks to take them on a holiday? If they're not sitting their exams, if they're, what, up to 11, then you should be allowed to take them out. We happen all that I know the 70s, lots of bad things happened in the 70s, but it happened in the 70s a lot. Uh, Debbie says on the text... I do not have a problem with parents taking children out of school during term time. If some families didn't do this, they wouldn't know what a holiday was. Uh, Oh, there's no name on that one, so I can't read that one. Tim in Bromham says, I take my kids out of school to go on holiday, and I fought a parking ticket and won. Tim, well done you. If only you'd seen a UFO. Glenn's in Northampton. Morning, Glenn. Good morning, Ian. Glenn, what do you think about these uh, these price rises during uh, holiday time? It's called greed. It's got nothing to do with supply and demand. I went to Ibiza last year, and um, I said to one of the guys, because we went back to the same place, I said, what's happened here? Why aren't they building? They said, the economy. So there is no there is no excuse for saying there's no demand. I took my children out of Northampton School for Boys, and I told them that if they wanted me to have holidays within uh, outside school time, they'd pay the extra. And I took them out. I went to Orlando. I went every two years when I was earning some good money. And I took them out every time. And my lad has gone on to graduate now. So it didn't do him any, any harm. And what did the school say, Glenn? Well, they were saying that, you know, because I, I listened to this a few weeks ago when you had that gentleman. I was saying that they never catch up. They never catch up. They do catch up. They do catch up. It's called homework. You know, and they gave him the, the extra work that he needed to do to bring him back in line. And as I said, my son's just about to graduate now in IT. So he's so not he done him. Take you any harm. He hasn't, hasn't done, done him, him any harm. How old uh, were, were your kids when you took them out? They were 13 and, 13 and 14. Oh, so during exams? They were getting close to exams? Yeah. Were you not worried slightly, Glenn, that, that, that maybe uh, you could be doing them a disservice by taking them to Orlando? No. I didn't, because, because they deserved a holiday, like I had deserved a holiday, and there's no point in going on a holiday unless you take your children, because you only have a short amount of time to enjoy times with your children. They don't want to know now. Boom. <laughs> you've totally got it right there, Glenn. You have said what, what I've not been able to articulate this morning. You've only got a certain amount of time with them when yep. they're kids, and when they want to hang out with mum and dad, and want to go on holidays with their parents. Yep. And you're right, they get to 17, 18, 19... They don't want to know. They will want to know again, but it will take a few years. Yeah. You're absolutely... Glenn, I, I appreciate that. You've, you've articulated the point that I couldn't quite get to. They're only kids for a certain amount of time. And we as parents should enjoy that time as much as we can. My little boy, every night, without fail, wakes up three o'clock in the morning, screaming, wants to get in bed with, with one of us. We're sleeping in separate rooms at the moment, my wife and I, because I'm doing this ridiculous job where I get up at four o'clock. Weekends we're allowed back into uh, the same bed. But, but, I don't mind if he gets in bed with me. I know I'm a bit grumpy and I'm a bit tired and he takes up all the bed and he kicks me and it's, it's annoying. But, he's not going to want to do that forever. At some point, 
he's not going to want to get into bed with me anymore. So I'm making the most of it. And it's similar with this school holiday thing, isn't it? They're not going to want to go on holiday with mum and dad forever. So you take them out in September for a week, two weeks, to Orlando, to Spain, to Greece, to wherever you're going. In the great scheme of things, when you're 80 years old and you look back at your life and things you would have done differently and regrets you've got, are you really going to go, oh man, 40 years ago when the kids were 12, I wish I hadn't taken them out of school for that week in September? 08459 455 555. There is nothing wrong, is there, with taking your children out of school for a couple of weeks, for a holiday. A holiday that otherwise you probably couldn't afford. 08459 555 555. Uh, more text on this. Sarah says, Ian, unfortunately, husband works for IBC in Luton and has summer shut down for three weeks in August. Our kids are all grown up, but we still have to pay high prices. Tina says, Ian, it doesn't matter if schools change holidays. The travel agents will just put their prices up according to children's holidays periods. Here's a long one from Wayne. Sit down. Who's currently carp fishing. Wow. Wow. I used to go fishing. It was the it was the dullest thing ever. Man, it was boring. Anyway, Wayne, sorry. Regarding holidays, it, it's obviously not doing much, doing catching many fish. He sent me this long email. Uh, regarding holidays during school term, my son has had numerous days off this year due to snow closures and teacher training days. But I, oh, you remember the snow closures when there wasn't that much snow? Yeah. But I asked for permission to take my son out of school for five days in November. The school refused. It's an absolute joke that they can close the school when it snows or to train teachers, but my son can't have five days off. I'm going to meet with the head teacher on Monday regarding this matter. It seems okay to allow kids off school when it suits them. Why don't teachers receive training during their paid holidays? What makes matters worse is we're not going on holiday. I have to go on a business trip and can't leave the family behind. Wayne, do let us know what happens on Monday. Maybe send me an email, ian.lee at bbc.co.uk, Monday afternoon or Tuesday. Uh, Let me know what happens. 08459 455 555. On the subject of UFOs, Phil says, Why are so many alien abductees welly wearing loners from the middle of nowhere? He raises a good point. Alien encounters never seem to have any other witnesses. When the Secretary General of the UN gets beamed up in the middle of a keynote speech, then I'll take this story seriously. Uh, oh, you've not put your name on it. I can't read it out. Darren says, We must find this UFO from Norfolk. Maybe we can get some cheap fuel. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. There were three of the newspapers I did not look at earlier on. I apologise. Let's have a look. Daily Express. Pension blow for millions. Interesting. This disaster after forty eight billion pounds is wiped off share values. Pension funds lost billions of pounds yesterday as share prices around the world plummeted. That is next to a picture of the Queen at Royal Ascot, who's celebrating because her horse won a race. The two differences in lifestyles couldn't be wider couldn't be more apparent pension blow for millions 48 billion pounds wiped off share values and a rich millionaire who let's be honest hasn't done that much to earn that money if anything is cackling away because her horses won a race the daily mail um 
as math master faces jail pupil says i'm so sorry i love you kidnapped teacher and girl are still a couple uh, jonathan vernon smith will be talking about this later on a girl who fled to france with her married teacher vowed yesterday to wait for him after he was convicted of abduction and there's the queen gurning at a very tiny cup it's a tiny cup she's won there and the sun two stories here as teacher convicted of abducting girl 15, he whispers, I love you. She replies, I'm sorry. Pervert teacher Jeremy Forrest yesterday whispered from the dock, I love you, to the pupil he abduct- abducted when she was just 15. And there's also a picture of Mylene Class, or Mylene No Class, as I like to call her, in her pants. For goodness sakes, woman, put some clothes on. You are a mother. Have some respect. It's not all nut jobs that believe in UFOs, okay? I believe in UFOs, I've seen them. But sometimes it is nut jobs that believe in UFOs. Lembit Opic's on the line. Morning, Lembit. Good morning. What a strange introduction, young man. What, what's it? Don't, <laughs> don't make anything from it. Don't take anything from it. Uh, listen, I do believe in UFOs. I have seen them. I know there's something going on. Do, are, you, are you a believer as well? Well, there's no doubt. That, yes, I am. There's no doubt that UFOs exist because, by definition, they're unidentified flying objects, uh, and there are objects which haven't been identified. That's what a UFO is. Whether they're from from other planets or not, that's the big question. Well, I know that you are having been to one of your houses. You are a big fan of science fiction, Arthur C. Clarke, all of those kind of things. Do you believe there's life out there, Lembit? I have no doubt at all that there is intelligent life on other planets. And uh, uh, it would just beg a belief that the universe, as big and wonderful as ours, is built just for our benefit. The big question is whether those other life forms have visited us. And that's where we get into trouble, because um, across billions of years, you would have expected uh, curious interstellar travellers to have come across the Earth. And yet, there isn't much evidence, nothing direct, really, that they have been to us. So uh, what's going on? My personal view is they probably have visited, but we just haven't really seen them because they've been far too smart to, uh, to be able to, in other words, being able to cook themselves. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people claim they have seen the others. Now, in my introduction, my tongue was firmly in my cheek, but people do get looked at as being a nut job if they say, oh, you yeah, know, no, I definitely believe in, uh, in uh, aliens. Uh, they definitely exist. When mathematically, they have to. But they, people do look at you kind of funnily. Did you ever mention this when you were a serving MP? <laughs> I did try to. Uh, I had two big space campaigns. One was uh, trying to raise the threat of asteroid impact. People thought I was a nut job about that. But uh, as anybody who lives in, in Surrey, for example, knows, uh, these things can come down and cause some damage. Uh, the, the second thing is, I've often said uh, throughout my life, really, that uh, aliens exist. My grandfather was an astronomer. And as you rightly say, people think it's a bit strange. They think of E.T. or they think of films like Galaxy Quest. But, but statistically speaking, uh, as a, a wonderful and, and sadly now dead uh, astronomer called Carl Sagan said it seems impossible that the whole universe only has us and so yes I do believe in it and across billions of years as I say it's quite possible that passing interstellar travellers have uh, paid visits but we may not have seen them because they'd be too smart too smart to be found out Lembit, last time we met I gave you a science fiction novel by Kurt Vonnegut, The Sirens of Titan which is a wonderful read have you read it yet? It, 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 yes, I have. Oh, it, good it, for you. a tremendous book, my friend. Absolutely tremendous. And uh, I shall send you the collected works of Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, Lembit, please. <laughs> Seriously, I'm, I'm a little bit behind with my Arthur C. Clarke. I would genuinely love... I'm holding you to that, Mr. Opic. Well, absolutely. And the one you need to start with is um, Rendezvous with Rama, which is about the very subject we're discussing, uh, about uh, an alien spacecraft going through the solar system. Beautifully written. Uh, he was... Uh, Arthur C. Clarke was a friend of mine, and it was a great wow. honor to know him. 
Always a pleasure, Lambert. Take care, and I'll speak to you soon. Take care, mate. Yeah, Cheers, have mate. a good day. Bye-bye. Justin Dealey, every Saturday morning wow. from 9 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Justin Dealey's got his own show. Wow, I'll have to write to the boss and see if we can get that. Cad, it's Musical Friday. We, every Friday we thought it'd be nice to kind of lift the mood after a busy week with uh, a little bit of uh, music to try and lift our spirits. I'm joined now by Vaughan Jones and Julia Graham. Good morning to both of you. Hello, Ian. Good morning. Now, Vaughan, you've got uh, a, a violin. Yes. OK, and Julia, you've got a cello. I have. I'm always drawn to the cello, as I used to play the cello when I was a very young boy. Did you? Very young boy. I gave it up when, I, when you know, I kind of got... It's very difficult, isn't it? Well, it is difficult. <laughs> And I start, I had lessons again about four years ago, and I'd have, I'd have a lovely teacher who would come around and teach me. It's too hard. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm just too good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, modest as well. Now, is, is there a name for, for you? What's your act? Yeah, it's called Manor House Music. Yep. And we go out as a string quartet and as a string duo. So the string duo could be violin and cello, right. or it could be violin and viola. Where are, so, the, where are the other two? Why, why were they too lazy to come in or something? Uh, it's, it's disgusting. They, some of them live in um, south-east London and north London. They could still make they it. Could they could have still made it. They could have slept in the car park. Yeah. So, and what kind of gigs do you play? What kind of uh, venues do you do? Doing. Yeah, well, we've played at Luton Who, yep. beautiful venue. Oh, um, sounds good in there, uh, yeah. Played at Notley Abbey mm. over in uh, the Bucks, you know, Oxfordshire border. Uh, Laurence Olivier's old place. Fantastic. That's, that's a lovely place. Yeah. Played um, at the Grove as well, haven't we, in oh, Watford? Yes, that's true. You weren't part of the Bilderberg, were you? <laughs> you weren't, oh, conspiracy theorists. <laughs> the New World Order is in the studio with yeah. me. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of flying saucers in that ceiling. Yeah, I bet. And how did you all get together? How do you, how do you all know each other? Well, I've known Julia for about 15 years, and that was um, just when Julia had left college, and she does a lot of orchestral playing. She yep. plays with all the top London orchestras. Uh, but this Manor House music was an idea of mine for my sister's wedding about six years ago, and the first thing my sister said is, Vaughan, I don't want to hear any classical music. Oh. I want rock and pop. So I looked over the web, couldn't find any ABBA songs, yep. and thought, well, I'm going to have a go at arranging them myself. So I arranged five ABBA songs and Bohemian Raps and it went down so well I thought this is this is going to be great now you talk about weddings and wedding songs what yeah. you, I think the first song you're going to play is the song that we had I had as my first dance oh, God only knows by the Beach oh, Boys yeah. uh, I, I, to much consternation from my mother-in-law because the first line is I may not always love you yes and she said well you can't have that but we yeah. we went ahead uh, so you're going to play that for us now on the cello Brilliant. and violin are you? Yeah, yeah that's great yes. away you go you get yourselves ready very exciting. Here we go. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that sent <laughs> shivers down my spine. Wonderful. <laughs> Timely. Brian Wilson's birthday yesterday as well. That was wonderful. Thank so you. Do, you, do you score that, Vaughan? Do you, do you go and listen to the record and take it apart and write it all down? Yeah, originally uh, would uh, score it for string quartet. Yep. So that's two violins, viola and cello. Uh, an average pop song will take about six hours to do, so it's quite a lengthy procedure. Yeah. Uh, and then once it's done for quartet, I'll then reduce it down for duo. So you try and get all the little special bits in, you know, you try it not to leave anything brilliant. out. sounds Let's get the plugs in, so we're running out of time. What's yeah. the website? How can people get in touch if they want to book you? Yeah, it's dot and it's manorhousemusic, that's all one word, mm-hmm. .co.uk. Manorhousemusic.co.uk. And, uh, that, that'll get you to the website, yep. and you can see loads of videos. You can listen to about 40 sound samples. We've got all the playlist, uh, all the information there. Uh, we're also on Facebook, and that's Manorhouse Music as well, and we've got Fantastic. our own channel. We'll, listen, we'll, we'll put all the, the plugs up on our Facebook <laughs> page as well. It sounds absolutely wonderful. Uh, we've, can we have another song? We're kind yeah. of running out of time, so if I absolutely. go to the travel before, Great. please don't think I'm being rude. It's not, no. you, you failed the audition. Uh, next, please. Uh, it just means we run out of time. So, what, what have you got for us next? We've got "It Must Be Love" by Madness. Vaughan Jones, Julia Graham. Let's let's have that, please. Thank you. Um. 
Well, I hate to do this. You carry on playing. This is a little bit classier than you're used to, isn't it, Adam? Get, get, away you go, sir. Absolutely love it. Adam Glenn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. Have a nice weekend. Well, you heard Julia Graham and Vaughan Jones. Vaughan, just give us a plug one more time, please. Go on. Sure, it's www.andit'smanorhousemusic.co.uk. Excellent. For all stuff. your wedding requirements. <laughs> well, not all of them, but the musical <laughs> ones. Yeah. Back on Monday. JVS up next. Ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.